Hello, this is Locally Entertaining, and I'm your host, Joanne Bailey Borsma. With us today is Caitlin Horrocks, the author of Vexations, which recently was named one of the best books by 2019 by the Wall Street Journal. I'm sorry, one of the best books of 2019 by the Wall Street Journal, and listed as a must-read from O, Oprah's Magazine. Welcome, Caitlin. We're so glad to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, after all the email exchanges, <laughs> I'm like, took a while. Like, I'm like, hmm. and that's okay. I figured you were like off touring, you know, the country and maybe visiting the French Paris, you know, countryside and stuff. So I, I, like, I, I wish. It was just my the spam filter all of a sudden started. It's amazing. Like yeah, I was just talking to a friend of mine about spam filters too, and then she's trying to get something out, and she's like, I can't deal with the spam filters. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, such is life. So, but you know, when I talk to authors. The first thing I always like to talk to him about first is like, how did you get into writing? I mean, what what caused you to follow this path? I, for me, I was, I mean, I was a little kid who loved books. I'd always been a bookworm. Um, I, I knew I liked kind of inventing things and making up stories uh, and just spent most of my childhood thinking that at some point I would have to stop. Uh, that it, it felt like something that sort of kids could do or get away with and I could enjoy, but it just would never be a, a serious pursuit I and then I think for me I just didn't I just didn't quit I just kind of kept making up stories and kept um thinking about the world in terms of stories that if there was something I didn't understand or sort of a person I didn't understand or a person's behavior I didn't understand uh my mind would immediately start clicking towards well like what um you know, why, why is that or, or what is going on in their head or, you know, what would happen if a certain person were in a certain situation um, and just, just thinking of the world in that way. Uh, and, um, yeah, and then just sort of finally realizing that, you know, the the writers of the world are not people where, like, where, like the magic writer fairy has come and said, like, this is your path and, and you can be an author. And uh, they're, they're the writers of the world are just the people who, who didn't quit mm-hmm. and, and keep making stories and, and trying to get better. Mm-hmm. So, so now, are you from the Grand Rapids area originally? Um, I'm from Ann Arbor originally. Oh, blue and gold. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm green and white. We can get along. Yeah, which is so, so, I mean, I, I, I didn't go to the University of Michigan. I was just like a townie. And I, I didn't think I cared that much about U of M sports. Uh, and then somebody just like emailed me out of the blue saying, oh, I see you had also lived in Ohio. You know, U of M or OSU? I was like, U of M? Like, I, I had this very like visceral okay. reaction. Yeah. I was like, I guess I do care. Yeah. Well, it's always said that uh, U of M, MSU fans, they can always get along when we're dealing with Ohio. So <laughs> no problem on that. So so where did you end up going to school then? Uh, I went to college at, uh, at Kenyon College um, in central Ohio, um, small liberal arts school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I uh, lived abroad for a couple of years, ended up in grad school in Arizona, uh, and then ended up in Grand Rapids for a job at Grand Valley State University. Where you were an associate professor, I understand. I am. In? In writing. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense, does it, it does. not? Yep, it worked so, out. So that's good. Now, I know this uh, Vexations is not your first book, because you actually wrote a collection of stories called This Is Not Your City, right? That was your actually your really first book. Yeah, so mm-hmm. first collection of stories, and then this was a first novel. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's get down to it. Vexations. Where did the idea for the story come from? So way, way back, I was um, a piano student. Um, I was not a particularly 
talented piano student. Uh, and my teacher gave me a piece called Gymnopédie Number no. 3 um, by Eric Satie. And I just immediately fell in love with the piece. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, I thought it was beautiful uh, without a lot of, of effort or technical skill, uh, which, which suited me as, as a musician. Uh, and, and there was a sort of whole mood to it, this kind of elegant melancholy that I just really responded to. I, and at the time, I thought, okay, I, I have this new favorite composer. I, you know, where I, I want to play everything he's ever written. Uh, and then really quickly realized that everything he's ever written encompasses maybe half a dozen pieces like the Gymnopédie, um, just really sort of beautiful, accessible piano music. Uh, and then a lot of, of crazier stuff, mm -hmm. uh, really playful things, experimental things. Um, playful is, is not a mode you encounter all the time in classical piano. Uh, and I just uh, sort of at, at, at the time as a piano student, I was sort of disappointed, uh, but, but had a, a curiosity from, from that moment about who this person was and, and how he created this range of music. Uh, and then just held on to that that question for a, a really long time mm -hmm. uh, until I was uh, an adult with a last minute deadline for a story for a writing conference. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was the, the idea that floated to the top of my head was that, you know, what, what about that Satie guy? What was up with that that mm -hmm. guy? I, and then the whole book um, emerged from, from that question. Mm. Now, were you surprised? Because, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know who Satie is. I mean, he's a, he's a French composer and pianist. Um, but beyond that, I don't think a lot of people know, you know, his impact or influence in the world of music. Um, and, and I also think it's very interesting it's because I know he went to the Paris Conservatory and he, they actually pushed him out. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who are trying something and don't, and somebody says you're not good enough, you know, there is Satie to look at. Um, so, but a lot of composers that, that happened to, you know, a lot of the people yeah, that we think yeah. that are so famous and incredible were so extremely talented that the teching, techniques and teaching methods of the time didn't really recognize that talent. And I think that's the same thing for Satie. Yeah, yeah. I, he, he flunked out twice <laughs> from the National Conservatory. He sort of eked his way back in and, and then failed again. Uh, and we, we still have um, some of his grade reports, uh, mm. which are full of just, just scathing comments from, from his professors, um, where they, they found him... Um, they found him moderately talented. It's not that they didn't think he had any business there at all, um, but just they perceived that that he seemed lazy, he seemed uninterested, he seemed like he just wasn't willing to to try to meet the marks they were setting for him. Uh, and I'm sure that that was true. I, I think he was somebody who uh, just really rejected a lot of the convention of the time, both both in his life and and in his music. Uh, and he was just not um, he. He wanted to move forward. He wanted to create music that he perceived as a sort of really truly new. Um, and he was just, I think, always looking for that that sound um, and and trying to to experiment and to push boundaries in a way that um, the establishment was 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 never into his his entire life. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the other the music he created, um it ends up being sort of a precursor for um, a lot of a lot of artists and musicians who came after. Um, he collaborated with with people like Picasso on um, this mm -hmm. this ballet called um, Parade, uh, which is a 
sort of really early surrealist works, early Dadaist works. Um, he was one of the first people to do something, we think the first person, uh, to do something sort of prepared piano, like putting pieces of paper between the strings to alter the sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of experiments um, start, start with him. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a question, and I was asking my friend Jeff over the Grand Rapids Symphony, and he wasn't sure, but wasn't he associated with the Moulin Rouge too at one time? He, uh, not the Moulin Rouge, but a lot of contemporary, uh, contemporaneous cabarets, so of, of that era. So, I mean, you can picture the Moulin Rouge, you can picture, like, the mm-hmm. Can-Can Girls, you can picture, like, the absinthe and mm-hmm. uh, the, the advertising posters. Um, he was very much part of that milieu. Um, so mm-hmm. he was an accompanist. He played mm-hmm. piano for, for singers, um, like, at the Chat Noir mm-hmm. uh, and some other, like, slightly less famous places. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most famous pictures of him, though, is almost you can see the Moulin Rouge in the background. Yes. Because yeah, he had that bohemian feel that that I, I don't know how to explain it just kind of very casual laid-back type personality yeah what mm-hmm. one of uh, yeah one of the most famous photographs of him he's wearing the sort of you know um, velvet frock coat and a top hat mm-hmm. and you know which it's it's very much like a costume even for the era mm-hmm. um, I think I think uh, uh, yeah and, he, and he's standing in front of the the windmill of the Moulin Rouge mm-hmm. so, so. So tell me, I mean, what's interesting in this is this is not just about Eric, but also about his brother and his sister, um, which I didn't realize he had a sister. I'll be honest with you until I was really looking at this and going, he had a sister? Um, Because I had heard of Conrad because people have talked about his letters to Conrad, but I didn't realize he had a sister. I mean, and that's something I think is really interesting because we don't realize up until, I don't know, maybe mm, 50s, 60s, Women, and especially if there was a sister or a wife or a daughter, um, didn't really get referenced a lot. Um, I mean, how do you find somebody that you know is there, but you can't? <laughs> That's a good, a good question. <laughs> I gotta kind of go back, you know. Yeah. So, um, I uh, when I when I pretty early on writing the book. I mean, I, I can nerd out about his music to no end, um, but I, I didn't want to write a book that was sort of only for classical music nerds or only for people who already knew his music or, or only mm. for people who um, were already interested in in, um, in in him or his life or his music. I I, I wanted the book to be for, for anybody, um, and I, I was really interested in the people around him, um, mm. that he is, he was a really... Um, uh, I, I mean, I have I have great, great, great admiration for what he did as 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 a composer, um, but he was also just a really difficult guy, uh, and I I found myself often asking questions about him. You know, like why was he doing certain things, and why were the people around him putting up with certain behaviors? Mm-hmm. Uh, and realizing I was kind of asking questions that I think the people around him asked. You know, at the time, I, I think I, I was interested in the experience of people who were trying to. Um, to to care for him or to love him or support him or or help bring his music into the world, uh, and and navigating a relationship with a really difficult guy. Um, so I think that that's um, very much that's part of, of his younger brother Conrad's experience. They had kind of a Vincent Theo Van Gogh dynamic, <laughs> uh, which which that 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 has kind of made it into the history books and, mm-hmm. and the narrative about Satie. Um, he they they also had a sister. Um, she is a, a literal footnote um, mm-hmm. in in some Satie biographies, uh, and and for the first. Um, bit of working on the book that that's all I knew I mean I knew five lines of information um, mm-hmm. and it was always the same five lines and it was that that they had had this um, 
uh, sister and that she had ended up in Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, she had emigrated and lived most of her life in, in Buenos Aires. And I, I didn't know why. I didn't know necessarily what that decision had been to, to emigrate. Um, you know, you can eke out a little bit more information that she had um, married into a family who owned this particular estate, uh, that uh, she had had a child, there had been a custody dispute, you know, there were a handful of facts um, that, that were really in, intriguing, tantalizing facts. I, and then I had sort of already decided to just write her into the book as, as well as I could, you know, fill in the gaps between the bits of information I had, uh, and then came across a radio documentary where um, in, in Argentine pianist who, who had moved to, to Paris, who had emigrated the opposite direction, uh, got really interested in, in her story, um, Olga Louise Sati Lafosse. Uh, and had actually tracked down people who had been her piano students, um, people who had been children when she was alive or were still alive, mm-hmm. uh, and had um, done a r- lot of really wonderful legwork kind of uncovering that story. So the, the, the fictionalized version that's in the book very closely follows the information that was in that documentary. Mm-hmm. Now, that brings up something. I mean, this is historical fiction. Um, there's a story here where there's some things that you kind of have to yeah. take liberty to, but... It's important that it does follow a certain factual timeline, and that's not an easy thing to write. I mean, it's quite a challenge, and and being your first full-length novel, I mean, tell us a little bit about that process. Hi, yeah, there were uh, many moments where I was like, really? This, this, is, this is the project you've chosen. This is the challenge <laughs> you've decided to take on here. Uh, well, it, you know, I'll be honest. You know, you think about it. Okay, well, it, you know, it's a life. It's all laid out for you. This is the story. How hard can it be to write? But it is really difficult to write. Yeah, and I think... So, so yeah, so on one level, I didn't have to just kind of make up the plot. You know, I, 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 there were things that I knew were going to happen, and there were sort of the ma- major events were fixed. Um, but there's a lot of, of, of curating. I mean, you, you can't write everything that happens in someone's life, and especially as the book expanded to include, like, the brother and the sister and a friend and um, a, a brief-lived romantic interest. I, I, I knew I was going to have to be very selective about what moments we saw from, from people's lives, um, I was going to have to make a lot of decisions about, um, I, I did have to decide, you know, how faithful to the historical record I planned on being, um, because I, I think that fiction writers can legitimately choose to, um, to take a more sort of, you know, loosely inspired by approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did not. The book is, is quite factual. Um, mm-hmm. the, the events are happening when they happened. The people who were there are there. Um, I, I didn't, uh, I, I was unwilling to contradict something I knew was true. Mm-hmm. Um, moments where I didn't know quite how something had happened or I didn't know quite who had been there, you know, I, I felt free to invent in those spaces. Um, but I, I wasn't willing to contradict something I, I knew had happened. Um, and, and it was important to me that the book, you know, follow, follow the facts, follow the timeline, be true to the, the world as, as they experienced it um, in, in as much... You know, I'm, I'm a 21st century American. I was never going to recapture exactly 19th century France. Um, but for me, that was, you know, that was that was the challenge. That was what made it kind of fun and, and worth doing um, and, and working within those those constraints. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. And I'll be honest, I haven't read the entire book. I did read the beginning part of it. It, it starts off with Conrad actually going to his room, yeah. to the place that he's lived. The apartment, I guess, would be the best way to s- describe yeah. it. Um, and to kind of give an example of how eccentric he is, 
all the things that are in there. Um, it's just amazing. The umbrellas yeah. and the collars and, and, you know, he was, he, he, he wasn't a wealthy man at all. No, he no. was not. And I, I think that's kind of a mis, mis, I don't know, uh, misunderstanding. People don't quite always understand that artists like that and any artist isn't always wealthy. I don't think, I don't think, I don't know if Mozart was that wealthy. I, they, they lived, they needed the yeah, patrons yeah. in order to actually live and to, to do their music. And it's still somewhat today, although I think a lot of artists today are able to have their own standing careers. Um, but that was still very, very important. And he, I think, was, didn't he die owing quite a few people, as I understand? Or if I remember, he was... He, he was he was broke, essentially, his entire adult life. Mm. Uh, he, um, he did, he, he died, uh, he didn't die in the apartment. Um, he died in a hospital. But um, after he passed, uh, some friends and his brother uh, were in charge of going to, to clear out the place that he'd been living. And nobody had been in it in decades. Mm. Um, Sati wouldn't let people visit him there, um, mm. possibly because he turned out to be a, what we would call now a hoarder, I mm-hmm. would say. Uh, and it was the, the apartment was full of um, a lot of junk, a lot of things that were maybe important to him, but that didn't have monetary value. Uh, and part of what I wanted to be true to in the book was the sense that um, you know making supporting yourself through art has always been hard, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think especially once people. The, the, the names we still know or the people who, who have achieved fame, you know, we think of them, um, mm-hmm. you know, just surely if you if you wrote this work that has endured, you know, you were you were live, living the high life back mm. in the day mm. uh, or, or that a patron had like, you know, um, just made uh, – you know, waved their wand and, and made life easy. Uh, and it's it's like the hustle has always been real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and a, you know, a lot of our sort of most famous, you know, composers, artists, anything, you know, they, they either sort of worked really hard to maintain kind of a, a middle-class lifestyle or worked really hard to um, have even a much more tenuous existence than that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I understand, too, as, like, as they were cleaning through and going through things is that it's when they would find things that were, quote, lost or... Because a lot of his stuff was lost. I mean, a lot of his yeah. music was lost, um, which makes it makes him even more intriguing. Um, and and one of the it was wasn't was well, the name of the book is actually after one of his pieces, correct? Yes, the vexations, and um, that was actually found in the apartment. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's um, he I, I, among things they found in the apartment uh, was there was this entire manuscript he said he had lost on a bus, mm-hmm. and, and it's hard to know. You know, to, maybe he thought that and truly mm-hmm. had lost it. Maybe he just told people that. Uh, and and the vexations or so the the piece is just called vexations, um, and it's just a, a single sheet of music, um, a few lines, with this uh, inscription. You know, if. If the pianist is to play this, you know, 840 times in succession, uh, they must prepare themselves with with serious immobilities, Uh, which when the piece got sort of resuscitated was interpreted as, oh, okay, this is meant to be played this many times in in Mm. succession, Uh, which if you do, it takes, I mean, a day. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. you, you, You can't, you some people have done it alone. Um, usually when it's staged now, it's this sort of all day and night affair. They bring in guest pianists. You know, mm. people take shifts. Um, strange things starts to happen to you when you listen to the same piece of music hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm. Uh, 
but it was it was this sort of little um, this little mystery, this little scrap. Um, and and I think like a lot of things Sati created, uh, that performance direction, you know, was was he serious? Was he joking? Was he mm-hmm. joking in a way that was also very serious and sincere? Mm-hmm. So how did you pick that particular title to be the title of the book? I. Uh, I worked on the book for for ages. It was it was done. I mean, my editor came back with edits. We were still editing it. It still didn't really have a title. <laughs> I, we we had played around with some different things. Um, I hadn't hit on anything I felt really strongly about. I for a long time the book was called La Belle Eccentrique, mm. um, which is the title of another Sati piece. Um, the, the eccentric beauty. Um, then for a while it was translated into English as the beautiful eccentric, and that was what the book was called. Uh, and um, as we sort of kept looking at, at his music and kept looking at sort of things that we could borrow or steal to be the title, uh, it's it's an intriguing piece of music. Uh, and it also seemed to, rather than sort of the beautiful eccentric, which suggests there's one beautiful eccentric. Uh, it, it spoke more to kind of the web of, of relationships the book had become. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people in here, you know, vexing each other mm-hmm. in, in various ways mm-hmm. uh, and, and being vexed by, by their circumstances. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we hoped it would work in that way. I thought it was it kind of related well to the fact that he was kind of, he's kind of still a little bit of an unknown. He's still kind of, you know, people still trying to discover and this piece was kind of yeah. unknown. Um, and you put the two together, it kind of made a little bit of sense, I guess. I was reading it a different way. Yeah, no, I, I and I, I, I like that reading very much. Um, and that's, I, I mean, a, a good, a good title. You, you can come at it from different directions, and you can see it show up in the book in different ways. I think. Mm-hmm. So, so, you, as you said, it, it took a couple of years to get this, you know, because it takes time to research. You, actually, you did <laughs> ended up going to France and doing some research as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I, a couple of years would have been uh, much faster than I actually did it. Um, I worked on the book off and on for like nine years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wrote. Well, you I know wrote... that, and I think it's really, really important for people to understand that that you know, even even a, a Joe Collins or anybody, it takes time to write a book. You know, especially, especially well, historical fiction is going to take a little, lo- maybe a little longer. But even just a basic book takes time to to write it because you still have factual things that you have to understand and know to do that. So I think that's a great. I think it's great. Yeah, and I, I don't think anyone embarks on a creative project being like, you know what, I'm going to spend nine years of my life on this. Uh, you know, the, the the finish line always seems seems closer than that. Uh, but um, I did. I, I there was sort of there was a. I did. I took a research trip to France really early. Um, it was. I didn't have a particular goal. I just wanted to sort of go and and see the places. You know, feel the atmosphere, see the streetscapes. You know, track down old addresses, uh, and that was really valuable. But I also I did spend some time in archives as well. Um, and something I had not fully appreciated till I was actually in France, is uh, I think in the U.S. he's um, either people haven't heard of him or he's sort of a cult figure mm-hmm. or people have you know a, a childhood piano lesson memory of him. Uh, in France, he is a national hero. <laughs> he, he is an wow. icon. Uh, and there was this palpable skepticism when I talked about the project with with French people, with either you know fellow researchers or, or archivists. Um, sort of, oh, okay, you American showing up and going to write this book. I uh, and that. Um, yeah, that rattled me a little bit at first. And I, I came back to the States thinking, okay, I still want to write this book, but I have to know everything there is to know mm-hmm. about him. Uh, and then embarked on this just, I, I, I set about doing that. Um, and then at some point, you know, the, I just kept 
setting the bar higher. You know, okay, you have to know everything about him and everything about his music, and you need to know like everything about all of France, like during his lifetime. And 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 at some point, that was never going to happen. Uh, that I. I Felt like I needed to know a lot, um, but at some point I needed to just sort of sit and write and, and mm-hmm. you know hammer this out. Um, so there was a lot of uh, I would sort of make some headway on the project and uh, go write another short story, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or make some headway on the project and then go write an essay. Um, I wrote uh, my my next book is going to be an entire collection of short stories that I wrote while I was supposedly working on the novel. Oh wow! Because <laughs> uh, I just I just kept cheating on it with with other projects because um, often it, it felt just. <laughs> <laughs> like such an undertaking. Uh, yeah, so, so that's so, so this was the affair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is this was the this was the lover. This is the affair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, uh, yeah. This is all the all the mistresses are in the next book, I guess. I uh, um. So and then yeah, just so finally, sort of being like you know, yes, the the research is important and the process is important and being patient is important, um, but also important to just sort of say like, all right, you know, this book is not going to write itself and mm-hmm. uh, stop doing this other stuff and. Um, Make make this happen. Well, and I I wanted to point something out. I think what, one of the reasons, in it, you know, outside of the fact that it was on old magazines, you know, must read. I'm like, oh wow, it's a author from Grand Rapids. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, look on. But it's the fact, that, and and this, I guess, because I, I host exchange students, and I always like to learn about the cul- culture and yeah. what that there are people outside of America that produce music folks and yeah. <laughs> produce books and uh, produce art and you know we sometimes we think if it doesn't come out of America that it's it's oh it's not they must not be that important they must not be that big the fact that you, yeah. you said that Satie was a, a, a you know it's basically a national hero I would never have thought of that from what I know of him here yeah. and because it's just it's not something I would that just wouldn't bring about. I mean, you think of Mozart and you think of Bach and you know those and, but wow, that's just, you just gave me a new piece of information. I think that's really cool. That's really, really, really cool. Um, And it's important for us to know those things. Yeah. And I I think looking at his career, it was, it was a window for me into that, like a a whole, you know, a moment in in history and a moment where, I, I mean, I think in America, we perceive France as having, you know, created amazing art and amazing food and mm-hmm. uh, fashion and uh, they they've there are many fewer major French composers um, mm-hmm. you know there's there's Satie there's Debussy there there are others but uh, he's very much held up as you know like okay well in, in music like the bench is not deep mm-hmm. so, so you know he's he's, he's mm-hmm. one of these major 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 composers and and at the time I he felt very strongly that he part of his job as a composer was to create kind of French music um, that the Germans had had all the success Austrians had had all the success um, and he was um, from a particular place and um, he wanted uh, to um, he, he was he was very cognizant of, of his own nationality Mm-hmm. Well, I thought the two at one time he didn't he get a little depressed too, but because he felt like he just wasn't born in the right period. I mean, some of us do feel that way. He wasn't born in the right time, and yeah, yeah. and you know, and that I also got the impression too. There was a lot of encouragement with him. Of maybe, maybe, maybe this needs to be challenged. Maybe you need to be that person to do this now, so that it opens up the doors for later. And it essentially did. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. I think he spent much of his life feeling out of step with with the people around him or with the expectations placed on him and um, some of those reasons I think were very personal and and some were very much about about the music and about art and about wanting to find a way forward Mm -hmm. um, which which he did for for himself and people who came after. Mm 
So tell me, book is done. Yeah. <laughs> Nine years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like a decade. <laughs> and um, it's done. I mean, there's a relief. But, I mean, there must be also hope that you would – of what people – are going to get out of the story. I mean, because you write it, it goes to press, which is, I, yeah, it's, I think is the most exciting thing when you got your own book in your own hand and you're looking at it and it's got your name and it's on the title. Yeah. Um, and then I think walking into bookstores also and seeing, I love looking to see if I know, oh, I know that person. And, oh, they got to buy Okay. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of cool. So it must be an incredible thrill for an author. I mean, did you go to a local bookstore and just kind of look for your name at all? And did you try? Uh, yeah. I, um... It's having a book sort of come out in the world. I, I mean, it's it's wonderful, and then it's a little bit scary um, because it's this thing that has existed only in your own head, or in you know, and then you've worked with an editor on it, you've worked with like a small group of people on it, um, and now all of a sudden it doesn't belong to you anymore. You know, it's it's out in the world. Um, so it's this, you know, it's it's this wonderful object that I can hold and and feel excited about and feel feel proud of, uh, but it's also now an object that other people are sort of you know reading or or discarding and mm. and loving or not loving and. Uh, uh, and you just sort of hope that that people are going to read it, and that it's going to to find readers who who do enjoy it and respond to it, and um, just sort of navigating that process of like, all right, it's it's out there, um, it's 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 fun, but it's also nerve wracking. Well, obviously, people loved it, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, initial reaction when you when you heard the news that O Magazine had it, and and then it got listed with the um, was it Wall Street Journal? Yes, wasn't it? Yes, Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, yes. You know, were you expecting that kind of response? Um, I mean, no. <laughs> I I think uh, you know, yeah. The, the the book comes out, and you sort of tell yourself. I mean, I, I mean, I think as a, as a writer, if you're being realistic, you know that like, okay, this this could honestly like sink like a rock in a pond. <laughs> maybe no, maybe no one will read it. And, like my mom will really like it, and like that's that that'll be the experience, and that is what it is. Uh, like you sort of know that could happen, uh, and then you just sort of keep your fingers crossed that like, all right, well, like let's hope we get some reviews, and then let's hope the reviews are good, and then mm. let's hope um, that maybe you know the, the that it receives some notice and the notice you know drives people to to, to buy it and, and enjoy it and then um, maybe you know in, in December maybe we'll get some attention in the kind of yearly roundups but you know that that nothing is is guaranteed um, and I, I had a, a wonderful publicist at Little Brown who was good about kind of keeping me in the loop so I knew that there were a lot of feelers out to different places you know okay so-and-so is looking at it or so-and-so might do a review or so-and-so might feature it and um, you just never know what's going to pan out uh, and then I got an email that, um, well, okay, O Magazine has requested a PDF of the cover. <laughs> and it's like still like still nothing is guaranteed, but like, all right, they probably only need that if they're going to, you know, say something nice about it uh, or, or feature it in some way. Um, so, yeah, that was that was just one of the kind of gifts that happened really early on in the, the publicity process um, was the O Magazine list of sort of must reads for, for July. Mm-hmm. And it's been selling well. <laughs> Yes, we're just gonna leave it. That's sure. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a certain type of book. I think it's it, it definitely an enjoyable one, and a story that people can really, I think, it does more than just because a lot of what uh, the stories, especially when it's centering around Satie, um, is it's I've seen is is and I did take a look yesterday again just to make sure is a lot of these, oh this is his it's more focused on his music and this is a little bit about his life. And who he yeah. is, and I think that that makes it um, a much more enjoyable read for people. 
um, in that in that way. And it, it, I, I always love historical fiction myself because it's a way to enter into a world that happened and gives you some, you know, gives you basis. Yeah. And if you want to learn more, you can learn more um, and take that back with you. And so, yeah, so. I thank you for, mm. for saying all that. I, I mean, I think as a writer, all we can do is kind of write the type of book that we would enjoy or, or want to read. Um, and, and for me, there was music in it, but it was also about the world and also about family and, and mm. also about the people around him. And Well, as an author, you must have a, a hope of something of what people might take away from the book. Yeah, I've, I've been really, really pleased the number of people who use that word like immersive a lot. Because mm. uh, I think when I, when I read good historical fiction, I, I love that feeling of sort of entering into, into a new world and being able to kind of look around and, and, and mm. see things um, and, and, and learn things without necessarily feeling like you're being spoon-fed knowledge. Um, so the, the idea that people have felt like they could come to the book and, and immerse in this particular place and moment in life um, has been really rewarding. Mm-hmm. So. so now you have a couple of events coming up with the vexations, as you were telling me earlier. Uh, you have a reading on February 3rd. Is that right? Yep. Um, I have a reading uh, February 3rd, uh, 6 p.m., Grand Valley State University's campus, um, mm-hmm. the main library in Allendale. Uh, and that's with a really wonderful nonfiction writer, Beth Peterson. Um, her, her, her new book is um, Dispatches from the End of Ice, uh, and we're both going to be reading uh, and then I'm doing some events um, out of state, but locally uh, I'm back doing something with the Festival of Faith and Writing, a pre-conference workshop on April 15th. So, wow. So you're pretty busy still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, again, mm. you publish a book and you don't know if anyone's going to want you to talk about it. Everybody like, shut up, please. <laughs> uh, but I've, uh, yeah, I've been really lucky. Um, have sort of various invitations and travel and it's mm-hmm. been great. So that's so cool. So cool. And then, of course, you mentioned your next project is going to be a series of short stories. Yeah. So, so the next book's coming out 2021. Uh, it's called Life. It's with the same publisher. Um, it's called Life Among the Terranauts. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a title. <laughs> it is. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the title of one of the stories. And again, I think I thought they might sort of make me change it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we're going with it. <laughs> so, so great. So. so, well, thank you. Well, Caitlin, I really want to thank you for coming out and uh, – and hanging in there with me <laughs> and reminding hey, <laughs> reminding me, um, it's been great to have you here. Um, oh, really yeah, enjoy, thank you so much. love having local authors on the show and talking about books and stuff. And for our listeners, I hope you get a chance to grab a copy of the Vexations. I'm personally going to be going heading over to Schuler Books to grab <laughs> mine. Um, so make sure you do that. And again, I'd like to thank Caitlin Horrocks, uh, author of the Vexations, for being here with us, and also a Associate Professor at Grand Valley State University, so we're going to give a plug out for the for the Lakers, right? They're the Lakers, yeah, right? Yes. I, I can never remember mascots. Um, again, my name is Joanne Bailey Borsma, and this has been Locally Entertaining. Thanks for listening.